The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fathom, and welcome to the new year. Um, very happy to get to start this year off with you guys. This is a really exciting opportunity just to see everybody on this, uh, this first day. Um, for those of you guys who I have not had the privilege of of meeting yet. My name is Daniel Groff, and I am one of the pastoral interns here. Uh, I get the privilege of working with the youth group, um, and I also have the honor and the excitement to get to preach the Word of God to you guys, with you guys today. So, um, one thing that you that uh, you'll find out pretty quickly is that through the sermon. You'll get to know a little bit more about me, but first off, I want you guys to know, very important thing, I am a huge football fan, all right? So I played, I now coach at a high school nearby, and I watch my San Francisco 49ers as much as I possibly can. I know that's not a big popular thing here because of the Broncos, because Denver, but I am a 49ers fan, so you're welcome for one of your four wins this year. Um... (laughs) Uh, so when you think about sports, uh, just in general, uh, if you're a fan at all, the addition of a new big name player is really exciting for your team, for you as a fan and for the teammates as well, uh, because it uh, changes what the season can hold ahead. Expectations can get set sky high and, but Ah, sorry, sorry. Uh, but things sometimes don't really turn out the way that you or your teammates could be expecting, as you guys as the Broncos fans know that from this year. <laughs> um, back in 2011, uh, an incident like this occurred as well uh, for the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they had just come off of a really great season. Uh, they still had a lot of the pieces that they were built upon the year before. Um, A group of fantastic players and a really good coach in Andy Reid who had taken them to six NFC Championship games in about 11 years. Um, And there was a lot of excitement around the league about this team. Expectations were really high, and as soon as free agency hit, they just kept going up because they were getting good uh, big-name players, such as a young QB named uh, Vince Young as their backup. Now, analysts and commentators were all super excited about this. They were saying unanimously that the Eagles were going to be in contention to win the Super Bowl that year. And it was an opinion that was pretty evidently shared by the team, as a few weeks into Vince Young being there, he got interviewed uh, at a training camp practice. And he unashamedly was really blunt about his opinion on the team. Uh, When asked what he thought about how the team was going to look now that these new players came in, Vince Young had this to say. Oh, man, we're a dream team for sure. Uh, We're going places, and there's a lot more things to come. Super Bowl's on the horizon. That is a really big statement to make. That is, that is huge. Dream team, specifically, is a term that with sports should not be used before you've even played a game. It is a term that is for sure held, understandably, in retrospect, when you look back 
on what the, the team has done. And unfortunately for the Eagles, they ended up having an up-and-down season that led to them missing the playoffs that year for the first time in seven years. And it also followed up with a season where they went 4-12 and and their coach got fired. So Dream Team was not exactly what I would have pegged that team as. Um, now, Eric Shelley is a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan, so I know you're watching this right now, and I am sure that if you were up here, you would probably like to remind us that they did eventually win a Super Bowl. However, that's not the story we're telling right now, Eric, so I'm sorry you got to sit tight with the pain of this right now, all right? Um, so you might be wondering, why do I tell you this? What do the Eagles possibly have to do with a sermon? Like, it's random, right? Well, the thing was, the Eagles of, this, of 2011 were focused on what could have been. They were focused on the ultimate victory in their sport rather than the victory of each game and each play. They paid for it. And I think this is a lesson for all of us that are to never focus on what's next and overlook what's now. So I'm calling this sermon specifically Next Versus Now. Catchy. Um, and I'm sure that if any of us were to look back on our lives, we could see times where things didn't necessarily work out the way that we were planning that they would. Uh, like I said, you guys get to learn a little bit about me in this sermon. So reflecting on how I have gotten to this point in my life, I am, or in the point I am now, I uh, have gotten to see a handful of these occurrences already. Now, I grew up in a family that went to church, um, and we tried a few different churches in our hometown before I went off to college. The first church that my family attended, you could say in a nice way, was a difficult place to be a part of. Um, as I'm sure a lot of people have experienced, there were difficult people and a lot of hurt. Um, the first, or the people that led the church were a very opinionated group. Um, and through those opinions, if you failed to fit into that supposed structure, you were looked down upon really heavily. You were ostracized, essentially. My family, with my mom being the main breadwinner, um, took a lot of that uh, black sheep mentality that the church put onto us. It took a toll on all of us, with my sister and I being criticized for being involved in extracurricular activities that didn't let us be a part of, of youth group stuff every week. And it got to the point where my parents were being told to their face pretty regularly that they needed to learn how to be better parents for us because they weren't a good family structure. <clears throat> now things continued to escalate, or escalate, and my sister and I had a really hard time being a part of this church. We begged my parents repeatedly for us to go somewhere else. And it ended up getting to the point where the youth pastor pulled me aside one Sunday, sat me down after church, and was like, hey, I need to let you know that I have heard from God that you are not actually a Christian because you don't show up to youth group things. And when you do, you're wearing a t-shirt and jeans, you're not wearing a shirt and tie. What is that? 
This experience left a really bad taste in my mouth personally about the idea of ever being a pastor or being in ministry of any form. And it took a big toll on my sister's and mine's mental health as well. We both struggled with this for a long time and the idea of being a part of a church. When we finally left, we found a church that was a lot healthier and helped us to grow in God and in relationship with other Christians. But there were still a lot of walls that had to come down. When it came time for me to go to college, I knew that I wanted to, be a, I wanted to attend a Christian college where they had good pre-physical therapy programs as I decided that my ministry was gonna be in physical therapy, specifically working with kids with special needs. So I ended up at Azusa Pacific University in Southern California. It was a great place, wonderful location, really strong Christian community there. And I really enjoyed it. Having not had any Christian friends growing up, it was a really awesome opportunity to get to grow and learn with Christians in my age group. And it also turned out that I met my beautiful wife, Emily, there, so it worked out well. Throughout college, though, people kept telling me that I should really consider switching majors to biblical studies or pastoral ministries. For me, that was a big no. That was not going to happen. I had convinced myself I was never going to be a pastor. I was never going to step into the same field that had caused so much self-doubt and mental struggles for myself and my sister. And I was I just wasn't going to be a pastor, and that was the end of the story. My ministry was going to be physical therapy. I was going to work with kids with special needs, and I was going to continue on that path, ignoring everything that other people would tell me. And going along that, I graduated with my degree in December 2019, ready to start working. I knew what was next for me. I knew it was a career in physical therapy. God was trying to get my attention, though, for the now, and I almost missed it. I believe this is what James is trying to give us, in, or get us to understand in the fourth chapter of his book, that we, never focus, that, that we should never focus on next over what's now. Yep. Now, this section is presented, uh, I would say, like a good sandwich cookie. Oreo you see here uh, comes and it looks seemingly like two dry cookies of warning that James presents. But don't worry, just like with the cookie, there is a gooey, creamy center that we all love. All right, so if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, let's take a look and see what he says in James 4, starting in verses 13 and 14. If you have the black Bibles around the room, that'll be on page 1013. <clears throat> Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. All right, let's stop there for a second. So here we have the first cookie of warning from James. He's addressing an issue that apparently his readers were stating, that today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year and try to make profit. He's warning them that this is a sin of arrogant assumption. 
They're taking the chance to presume that they know God's will. And they're arrogant about the future. They're not focusing on what's next, or they are focusing on what's next and overlooking what could be right now. So these claims of we will go, we will spend a year, we will carry on our business, we will make money, they all indicate that the audience has made claims of control with making money being the goal of the whole process. Now, for us right now, we might not make these exact same claims or statements, but there are definitely times that I'm sure we all presume we know what's gonna happen in the future. And so this applies, I would say, to a very common statement that people like to use where if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. And James would say the same thing. Though he has no problem with planning or making a profit, because he understands that these are essentials to life, he has a goal to point out the arrogant assumption that the people are presenting. So you might be wondering, what is being presumed? Well, in this, James is saying that the people are saying that God, without asking him, is in their travels, in their safety, and in the business and profits that they're planning to make. James, however, wants to contradict these presumptions with bringing up the fact that life is brief. There's a brevity to life. He says this in 14, where he goes, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James is saying that life is so short, he's able to compare it to a mist. Something that you can see, but evaporates before it can make any impact. James is saying that this is this, or James is saying this to what would have been an agrarian or like farming community. And they would have understood a reference to this in the sense of a vaporous cloud, something you can see off in the distance, but before it can be thick enough to produce rain and product and help the product, it evaporates. Now, I know that not all of us are farmers, so another way possibly to think about this would be the summer dew on the ground. You wake up in the morning and it's there, but by the time the heat of the midday comes around, it evaporates and it's gone. To compare life to this, James is saying that it is an unpredictable, short, and elusive vision. It's something that we don't have for a long time. So in going back to my time in college, I had the opportunity to intern at physical therapy clinics. One clinic that I had the opportunity to work in was a neurophysical therapy clinic for people who had suffered severe spinal uh, injuries, spinal cord injuries, or nervous system injuries, things that would leave them paralyzed in different limbs or different sections of their body. One patient that I remember working with specifically that made a big impact on me was a young man who was going into his senior year of high school and had been one of the top football prospects in the country the year before. He had just helped his team win the state championship in California, which is a really difficult thing to do in football because there's a lot of schools in California. The summer before the start of school, he and some of his friends had been having a party celebrating the end of summer, and they made the decision to have 
way too many drinks and got in a severe car accident that paralyzed him from the waist down. He lost all scholarship offers for D1 schools that had been looking at him, and he couldn't even play his senior year. One day while I was working with him, he and I were just talking about football, talking about how much it had meant to him, things that he loved about it, things that I had loved about it, and all of a sudden he stops. He looks up at me, and with, a, a, with eyes full of tears from a mix of emotions of frustration and sadness, he says, had I known what was going to happen at that party, I never would have gone. He's reflecting here on what James is saying. We don't know what's going to happen in the, tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in 12 hours. He didn't know what was going to happen at that party, but he reflects that he wouldn't have gone if he would have known. Things can change in an instant for us, and we don't know what will come next. So I want to make my first point here by saying about focusing on what's next while overlooking what's now and saying that life is short. We have no control of how long we are here, and nothing we do will extend or reduce the time that we're given. This is all determined by God's good plan, and only he knows what will actually happen. Now, the story of the young man really hits when you consider that life is short. Not knowing what will happen tomorrow should force us to live more in the now, concerned more about what we can be doing instead of concerning ourselves so much with what will come. But how would this look different for us if we knew, say, that we were going to die tomorrow? How would it change the actions that you choose to do on a day-to-day basis? Would you go out and live your bucket list? Would you have all the fun adventures and the lifelong goals that you have always worked towards? Or would you really reflect and try to live a life in a way where you are speaking to those around you in sweeter ways? where you're loving your family or your friends in a deeper manner, or even more difficult, going out and forgiving the people that have hurt you. Life is short, and we don't know how much time we have. So it's important to make every second count. We should live in a way that affects the next, because right now matters. Now, this isn't the only warning that James gives. As we see with the cookie sandwich, there is another wonderfully dry cookie that we get to experience, and it's just as dry as the first. However, this one is in reflection of a different kind of sin uh, that James wants to present in the second section. So if you'll join me uh, uh, picking back up in verses 16 and 17, don't worry, we will get to 15 in a moment. James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So like I mentioned, James here is mentioning or telling us of a second kind of sin. In the first section, we saw the sin of presumption or selfish arrogance. This section, however presents the sin 
of not doing what God tells us to do, known as the sin of omission. Jesus, uh, whoa, James sandwiches these two kinds of sins uh, around the good message that he has for us. One is doing the wrong thing and being arrogant, the sin of commission. Whereas the sin of omission is doing the wrong thing, purposefully doing what God tells, doesn't, or purposefully not doing what God tells us to do. This, uh, and he says that not, or sorry, he's not saying that one is greater than the other, but that they are both equally sin. And he's giving us instructions here to help us focus on the now by telling us my second point in that God's ways are given. He's given us the right thing to do. It's like when you get a, a new puzzle or a set of Legos. You have a picture that's included or you have the instructions that tell you specifically what you're trying to build. You know what you have to do to get the final product. If you try to force puzzle pieces, however, into a certain spot, you're not going to get the picture that, you're that is being presented. Similarly, you can put Legos together however you want, and it can make something new and really cool, but it's not going to be what you paid for. And like the puzzle picture or the Lego instructions, we have been told what we're supposed to do. God has given us his ways, instructions on how to live through the scriptures. James is saying that the sin of omission is still sin and that it's foolish because we know the good we're supposed to do. God has given us clear guidance, things that he desires for us, and the ways that we're supposed to live. So as it is now the new year, I would like you guys to consider the trend of New Year's resolutions. It's a new start. Everyone takes the chance to make plans for a better version of themselves, saying things like, I'm going to go to the gym more, or I'm going to eat better, I'm going to read a book a month, or I'm going to spend more time with my families and friends. I'm going to go traveling more because that just sounds like fun. Or, as you guys are all doing wonderfully to start the year off, I'm going to go to church more. Good job, guys. <laughs> These are all great things. And don't get me wrong, I even have some of them on my own, uh, as my own resolutions. But what I'd like to challenge us in is to think about these in the sense of God's will. The temptation here is to claim that we are going to have a dream year because we are planning all these things out for ourselves and ways to make ourselves into the dream version of ourselves. But this puts us at the same risk that Vince Young put the Eagles, claiming them to be a dream team, looking only at the future potential and not focusing on how to do the work every day to get to that point. I would suggest that a better approach would be to offer up our resolutions to God and to give him the space to influence and design for you what he wants you to grow in in this coming year. As again, we should never focus on what's next and overlook what's now. So we've seen that James acknowledges that life is short. We also have seen that, there, that the fact is we have everything that we need to follow God. But he also follows this, but he follows this up by giving us a way to correct our path from sinful presumptions towards God's glorious 
providence. Think of this as the middle of James's cookie sandwich. The gooey center is great. And we are going to look at this now in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So here's the solution to both the sins of omission and commission. And it's my third point, that God's will is better. Imagine this like listening to a navigation system while you're driving. Essentially, James' voice is coming out of your GPS after you've missed a turn. And it's not just telling you to keep going straight ahead and not look to where you're, uh, how to change course. Stay lost, it's fine. It recalculates and it redirects you. And James is giving us an alternative route from the arrogant boasting and the inactive omissions of the, of the two cookies. This argument on James' parts gives us the way to the sovereignty of God, as God's will is better. <clears throat> A theologian named Kay Backhouse says it this way, that even more than the pragmatic argument that life is short is the argument that God is sovereign, that all life is in God's hands, and that, and that genuine piety looks to God's guidance even for business pursuits. This is a form of living, seeking God's guidance and asking for his will to be done along our path that is honoring the sense of his guidance in our lives. So back to the story, here I am, a fresh new college graduate in December of 19, ready to start working, getting into physical therapy school. I've done job applications, and I figure, hey, I have a lot of experience working in PT clinics. I should be able to get a job pretty easily, right? I bet I can get a job almost anywhere in a PT clinic. Nothing seems to stick. January and February, still no job, and I figure, you know what, I'll just keep pushing. It'll be fine, everything will work out well. And then March 2020 rolled around, and we all know what happened then. So the world shut down, clinics aren't hiring, heck, no one's hiring. All I was able to do with my, was just focus on my last few prereqs for PT school and start the applications. See that as kind of a blessing. I guess that worked out. However, this became a very difficult time for me. I was dealing with a lack of understanding why things weren't working out on the job front. Things weren't working out how I had planned or hoped at all, really. Stress and tensions started to form between myself and my family, as well as myself and my girlfriend, now wife. And, I was, and it started to grow and take a toll on my mental health. All the while, I was still just trying to push and get into PT school. A year of this went by and things just kept getting harder. By the, by the time December 2020 rolled around, I'd finished all the prereqs for PT. I'd even submitted a few applications. And then out of nowhere, something just switched. My motivation for PT suddenly vanished. And I stopped submitting applications. I even stopped answering calls when schools would, <clears throat> would respond to inquiries for information that I had submitted. I felt really lost. How could the motivation just disappear like that? 
out of nowhere, after so many years of being sure, this is what I'm going to do. I also spent a lot of money towards it, so where did that go? I was scrambling, and I was trying to figure out my life and what it was going to be. So, out of suggestion from my now wife, I met with my head pastor at the time, and he was a really great friend and a really great mentor, and I wanted to seek out his advice. Through many conversations and a lot of internal self-searching, we concluded that potentially this might have all just been my plans and not really what God's plans and goals for my life were. So, being even more lost than I was before, we started brainstorming and praying over other ideas. Um, but one of the last few conversations that I really had with him brought clarity and direction. And in that, he asked me what it was that I was currently doing that had brought me joy. Now again, I was very, very against the idea of being a pastor, but I had had a lot of fun actually working as the youth minister at my church. I loved working with the church, but specifically with the kids. And so I had just been doing this as a side hustle for a few years now. Um, and, but it didn't really seem like it was going to be a lifelong vocation. Now, my pastor knew that I had come from a lot of pain and hurt in my former church experience, and this had led to my refusal to consider vocational ministry. But he then decided to say something that really changed my perspective. The next thing he told me was, pray about why you find joy in something you are so set against. It might actually be God's will for your life. Okay, now I know this has been a lot of my story, but I think it is important to see that there is a change in mindset when we approach things in the sense of requesting God's will to be done in our day-to-day -day lives. It changes how we approach our daily activities. A practical step for this that I would suggest to you guys is that we, it starts with the way that we pray. Jesus showed us specifically in both the Lord's prayer and his prayer in the garden, the way that we offer up our lives and our prayers to God. The key terms that he used in this are your will be done and not my will, but yours, Father. And one of the bravest things that I have ever actually witnessed somebody do was offer up his life to God saying, I need help in my struggles. Whatever it is you have to do to change what, where I am and the direction my life is going, do it. I don't care what it is. I want you to take control. Your will be done. And that's what James is saying is the gooey center of this wonderful cookie sandwich is that God's will is better. So that's what I decided to do. I started praying for God's will and not my own. And... Here I am now, a student in seminary who was absolutely dead set against vocational ministry. I had plans and assumptions on how my life was going to go, and now I am working on opening myself up more to prayer that God's will be shown in my life. I have no idea. 
I have no idea what will happen in the future or even what I'm going to be doing upon graduation in 2024, but I'm open to whatever God has planned for me. And I believe that that is the call and the desire of James for all of us in his passage. Not to worry about the next, but to focus on the now and to see God's will for today. Like this wonderful, delicious cookie sandwich, life can be dry and it can crumble in our mouths sometimes. We can feel like we have things planned out and then we watch them fall apart. But if we look to center our day to day on God's will and how we can live out the way he gives us in his word, we can see the dry messiness of life be held together by the sweet, gooey goodness of him and his guidance. So for this coming year, I want to challenge all of us to think on the next versus now in the light of the fact that life is short God's ways are given, and God's will is better. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you don't leave us to be stuck in the misguided direction of our own thoughts, our own desires, and the sin of our assumptions. Lord, your will is better, so please help us to focus on how to offer up our lives and our plans to you and to live in your will this coming year. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.